910 WBT. Pete Callender here, hour number two. I've been going over the Tyree Nichols uh, case. These five uh, Memphis police officers fired and now charged with murder in the beating death of Tyree Nichols uh, from early in January, who was stopped, according to the official report, was that he was recklessly driving. There's no evidence to suggest that. Uh, The first cops on the scene in the first video that we saw uh, that was released, I guess, on Friday evening shows uh, four different clips. One is where the uh, one police officer shows up at the site of the the pullover, the the stop, which is in the middle of the street, actually. And um, there's one cop already there trying to drag him out of the car, saying, get out of the car, show us your hands and all of this. And then they try to subdue him. And they're screaming at him. They got different orders that are, and they're they're just contradictory orders that they're screaming at him. And he's acting in this, in this. I don't even know what the word is for, but there was like a there was a defiance to him. But it wasn't like a no, 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 like an angry defiance. It was like, come on, really, y'all? Like that's the defiance. Are you really going to be like this? And he was he was talking to them like that. And I don't know if that's just the way he talks or what, because I know nothing about the man. But um, it kept escalating. And they eventually start spraying him with the uh, pepper spray. At which point then he gets up and runs, because some of the cops also got hit with the pepper spray. He gets up and runs. They eventually find him. A, a group of other cops find him. And those are the ones that beat him to death. And... The video of that is barbaric. I mean, they're they're holding him up and like, well, at first they roll up and he's already on the ground and a cop runs over to him and just kicks him in the head. Like that's, and then he did it again. And then they have like, they're, they stand him up and they're trying to walk him around. And I, you can't tell at this point, like he's woozy. He's probably got a concussion, can't stand up straight. They punch him in the face. Some one of them is like, "Oh, I'm gonna baton your buttocks, basically, right? Threatening you to to beat him with the baton, and then does." There's that's not appropriate. That has, I mean, in any manual. But Van Jones writing at CNN.com, he says the narrative of white cop kills unarmed black man should never have been the sole lens through which we attempted to understand police abuse and misconduct. It's time to move to a more nuanced discussion of the way police violence endangers black lives. And I am interested in having a more nuanced discussion. Now, there are a lot of people, I will tell you, that are not capable of doing so. There are a lot of people that are unable to. I I understand that. We all can't be as good at discussing controversial and sensitive topics as I am. I understand this. (laughs) <laughs> no, no. some people don't. They just don't. They have no filter. They're like, oh, I say what's on my mind, whatever. Yeah, okay, well, then you probably shouldn't be engaged in these types of nuanced discussions because you're going to anger people unnecessarily, right? You're going to antagonize. And there are some people who can't even listen to questions. They can't even listen to a nuanced discussion without becoming angry themselves because they want to be right. They want you to uh, agree with them that their identification of the problem is the correct identification of the problem. And therefore, their solutions are the only solutions that will work. And if you if you have any other disagreeing opinion, then you are obviously, you know, in the camp of white supremacists or uh, you want the police to be able to murder people. 
See, because a nuanced discussion includes things like the right to resist philosophy that does exist. You know what else is involved in a nuanced discussion? Crime rates. Who are victimized and also who are mostly committing the most violent crimes in America. That's part of that nuanced discussion. You know what else is? A culture of criminality. And we all have that now in America. We all celebrate the culture of criminality. If you don't believe me, go buy, go, go over and take a look at any video game store and look at the video games. And I say that as a gamer, gamer for 35 years almost. So I've been gaming a long time. And all of the games, it seems like, are all about how to create mayhem. And even when you get close to, like, a good hero in the storyline, it's always like an anti-hero. It's always like somebody who... Who's really bad, but just trying to do some good, forced to do these good things and seek vengeance on even worse people, that kind of thing. I wanted to be left alone. I was on the wrong path, and now they they picked the wrong fight with the wrong guy because I'm a bad hombre, right? As Donald Trump would call him. So that idea is prevalent in our culture. It's prevalent in the movies, it's in TV, it's in video games, it's everywhere. That's part of a nuanced discussion as well. Let me go over here and get David on. Hello, David. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, Pete. Pretty good. Hey, good. Um, has anybody said how long these officers have been on the force? Yes. Yeah, so, well, a couple of them were hired in August of 2020, so uh, not even three years, two of them. And then the other three, I think, were hired prior to that probably within the last five to seven years, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I can't help but wonder, you know, what the racial makeup of the department is, because it just seems so odd that all five officers were black. They're most, the, 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 the police force, I, if I recall correctly, is comprised of mostly black officers, or huh. pretty darn close to it. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with that. I mean... No, it reflects the society they're policing. Right. Now... I haven't been in the military for a long time. I was in the military police. You learn about other cultures. Mm-hmm. And one mistake our previous president made when he was talking about the NFL players that were kneeling, he used the term SOB. Mm-hmm. Now, to the average white person, ah, no big deal. But to a black man, particularly a black man who's a Muslim, you just threw the worst insult that you could have at him. Mm-hmm. And because basically he just called him a son of a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, it helps if you know something about the culture of the people that you're dealing with. What my point is, is there are certain things that can set off a black officer that wouldn't phase a white officer and vice versa. Doesn't justify what they did, but that brings up the next question. Is there anything to this story that we're not hearing because... We all remember Michael Brown, hands up, don't shoot, which didn't happen. Mm -hmm. We remember the Floyd case, I can't breathe. And then three, four months later, we get video of him claiming he couldn't breathe when he was sitting in the the car. So it makes us all skeptical, you know, is this all that there is? Because the media plays the worst possible situation they can. Sure. And then months later, we seem to find out details that we all wish we had known or we burned half the city down. Right. Which is why you shouldn't, just as a rule, burn your city down. Um, just because you just don't ever know. Like, you, you burn it down, and it's like, oh, man, 
Yeah, we didn't. We, we didn't really know that story, did we? Probably shouldn't have burned the city down. Um, I, I understand people being upset. Mm-hmm. You know, but let's all wait for all the facts to come out and go from there, sir. Um, um, this is America. We don't. We don't have that kind of patience any longer. Well, <laughs> no, but you're it, right. It I, is my hope. Yeah, I know, agree because. I believe we're all being played against each other. Mm-hmm. I really do. Black against white. Mm-hmm. And I think the biggest thing the politicians in Washington fear is to look out the window and see thousands and thousands of black and white people marching together in unison for the same cause. Mm-hmm. They sure. don't want that. They want to keep us fighting amongst ourselves. Well, they it, can keep on with their shenanigans. Yeah, it's an easy way to divide. It has been, you know, for hundreds of years. It's an easy way to divide, especially you know when uh, when slaves were freed and then they uh, were able to vote. This was the way to turn, and it was the way to separate uh, farmers against each other. Because if you get all the farmers together, right, then the farmers could overthrow the, the sort of the business interests that were running uh, running politics and running the parties in North Carolina. That was the Democrat Party. And so uh, if you could split the white and black farmers, then you could minimize their sort of populism and the, the, the moneyed interests could continue to proceed as they were proceeding. And uh, and that's what they did here in North Carolina. At least that's what they did. Right. So I uh, appreciate you giving me some time. I'll throw one more thing at you. Sure. We keep hearing talk about reparations. I can tell you a good place they can start. Okay. No more federal taxes for <laughs> black Americans. Oh, there you go. I actually did see something. Somebody ran the numbers on the uh, income taxes this weekend. I saw the, was it top 1% pays like 49% of all of the income taxes now. So, yep. yeah. Uh, David. Yeah. Appreciate the call, sir. Thanks so much. Uh, this was, and I was talking during the break with, uh, with Bernie over there, and one of the the you know one of the the aspects, one of the the nuances, I should say, in this discussion is if you don't want there to be a lot of interactions between law enforcement agents and citizens that have the potential then to lead to these types of devastating results. If you cut back on the laws, like the number of laws, if you reduce the scope of government. You get less inter- you get fewer interactions. Right? Some some places are already trying this. They're they're gonna start uh they're suggesting we move away from cops as traffic enforcement. Just make it a safety enforcement or like a yeah. In, in rather than um you know, rather than police doing the stops and all of that. Just set up cameras, send people tickets. You just get a whole bunch of tickets. Oh, I know that wouldn't be fair to like poor people. What? But if everybody is following the rules, then you don't get points on your license. You don't get fines, right? And the camera catches you doing it. I know we got civil libertarian problems with it, but like these are these are. Th- it's an example of reducing the role of the government means you have fewer of these types of life and death interactions. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. All righty, so uh, Van Jones, writing at CNN.com, he says, we, we need to have a more nuanced discussion of the way police violence endangers black lives. Okay, but I think his idea of a nuanced view is pretty 
uh, myopic. It's, it's, it's pretty narrow. He's only viewing it through this one lens, which is race. Even though he says it's not about race, we need to broaden our perspective here about race. He then proceeds to make the argument that it's still just about race. Because, you know, when, when all you've got is a hammer, everything looks like a racist nail. So one of the uh, sad facts about anti-black racism, he says, is that black people ourselves are not immune to its pernicious effects. Society's message that black people are inferior, unworthy, and dangerous is pervasive. And society's message. how like, See, you hear what's happening here. There is this idea that there is a concerted effort to write a narrative of those things and to tell you that those things are true. I have never had anybody say those things to me. I have been able to look at data and analysis and you come up with profiles. And I know we're not supposed to do that, right? Or not supposed to profile, but the truth is general. And see, this is one of the aspects that I think a lot of people in this nuanced discussion, this newly inspired movement after the Memphis murders or murder. um, This is part of that. This is part of the equation. Do you know what the crime stats actually are? Let's see. National Review's Wilfred Riley studies this stuff, criminology and whatnot. Less than a decade back, Black Lives Matter arrived on the national scene with a two-part message. A near-genocidal campaign is being waged against black Americans, and virtually all contemporary problems in the black community are the fault of white people. Right? Two messages. And you hear it. In Van Jones's argument right there, where he says that over many decades, numerous experiments have shown that all these ideas can infiltrate black minds as well as white ones. Self-hatred is a real thing. That's why a black store owner might regard customers of his same race with suspicion while treating his white patrons with deference. Okay, so there's a completely made up anecdote. Is it possible that the black store owner has been has been robbed by black uh, assailants or criminals in his neighborhood, and that may be why he is essentially profiling them. It doesn't come from self-hatred, right? That's that is making that's making a it is it is a prejudgment. Absolutely. It is a prejudged opinion. It's prejudiced. Absolutely. He doesn't know the individual, you know, teenagers that just walked into his store. I mean, for me, like, you put two teens together, and I'm suspicious of all of them. Like, automatically. Two teenagers together, and I'm like, you guys are up to no good. I'm what I got my eyes on you. Watching. So that store owner, maybe he's been robbed. Maybe he hasn't. I don't know. But I can make up an anecdote, too, just like Van Jones just did. That's not proof of anything. So Black Lives Matter comes on the scene. And they literally say, you know, all the problems are basically the fault of white people, systemic racism, and um, that there's this, you know, near genocidal campaign being waged against blacks, which was news to Gen X. I can tell you, as a white guy from Gen X, I can tell you, like, we thought we were all on the path to the United Colors of Benetton. We thought, like, yeah, there were TV ads and everything about it. I don't even know. What is Benetton? Was it a clothing manufacturer? Sunscreen? I forget. This is no exaggeration, writes Wilfred Riley. 
Black Lives Matter spokesman Cherno Biko appeared on primetime Fox News to argue that a totally innocent, presumably unarmed black person is murdered roughly once per day. That's what he said. Murdered once a day. Ben Crump, perhaps the nation's most prominent attorney, published a best-selling 2019 book titled Open Season, Legalized Genocide of Colored People. If you actually do the math, there are... There are like hundreds of thousands of police interactions and right. Like like, I think it's every year and it works out to be something like a thousand a day. Forget what the exact math was, but when you crunch the numbers, it turns out that it's, it's about one a day. One person every single day is killed by police in America. And that it's just the math. It's just statistics because there are so many interactions and of those interactions, a certain percentage of them are going to be violent, and a certain percentage of those are going to lead to either an officer dying or a uh, or an assailant or a suspect dying, right? It's just math. And so if every single time now the the suspect that dies is not white, if every single time now this is going to be used as an excuse for the advancement of these you know, CRT arguments, essentially, it's neo-Marxism. If that's the whole, if that's what's going to, uh, or even violence and the, the riots, if that's the reaction, then we're, then pack it up, folks, we're done. Civilization's over. Because you cannot keep destroying all of your society when the math is that. Unless, of course, we just stop trying to arrest anybody, which I think seems to be, I, I think that, that might be what's happening. <laughs> now, so what are the receipts? Well, they are kind of in. And uh, what they show is the remarkable, co- remarkably complete failure of a narrative. So there's a thing called the Disaster Center. There, It's a crime data resource center. And the FBI's Uniform Crime Reporting Program make it clear that murders in the United States increased. It went from 14,000 back in 2014. That was the year that Black Lives Matter really truly kicked off in 2014. Okay, so it went from 14,000. It is now at just under 23,000. Seven years later. Seven years later, it went up by like 30%. The surge can be directly tied to the Black Lives Matter linked, the BLM linked, Ferguson effect, and now the Floyd effect. In 2021, the University of Massachusetts researcher Travis Campbell found that cities that experienced BLM protests and riots and surely often attempted to accommodate the demands of the marchers, right? Those cities did. They were blue cities. They tried. They did see some decrease in police homicides. That is true. But also experienced a huge overall increase in murders. The resulting murder surge was at least 10% overall, meaning one to 6,000 additional murders, 1,000 to 6,000 additional murders when you look at the national level. Those are people that are now dead. Using more prosaic but equally effective methods, there's a guy named Jason Johnson of the Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund. He found the same thing. A direct and statistically significant correlation between declines in the kind of proactive policing that's hated by BLM and you get surges in homicides. No easy answers here. A lot of nuance.
News Talk 1110-993-WBT. Give you an update on the Alex Murdoch trial in uh, South Carolina uh, at the top of the next hour. Uh, we'll have Matt Harris joining me. He's a colleague from a sister station. I used to work with him years ago when I was uh, doing the uh, the News Nuts segment over at, uh, at 107.9 The Link. And um, he's been down there now. He's been doing a podcast, actually, uh, about uh, the, the cases, the Murdoch cases. And so... Uh, he's now down at the at the trial, so we'll get a get an update from him. And I have been monitoring it during the breaks and stuff. So, um, the crime stats is part of the nuanced discussion on police brutality, <clears throat> because I've said this example before, but you think about every interaction that a cop has throughout the day. Every time they pull somebody over. What do they usually ask them, right? Do you know how fast you were going? Do you know why I pulled you over? Right? They ask these questions. And what do they usually get in response? Lies, right? I don't know why you pulled me over, officer. What? I was doing what? Oh, I wasn't going that fast, right? And at some point, if virtually every interaction you have with people is filled with this, these kinds of lies... Do you think you start developing an opinion about everybody that you interact with? Now, maybe some, maybe not. But I think it's, I think it's some level. I think it does have an impact. That's part of profiling. That's part of, of prejudice as well. Which is what we're all supposed to be trying to, you know, overcome the prejudice. Because you should be looking, we should all be looking at the people, at everyone we encounter as individuals. But that being said, prejudice arrives in uh, uh, in our heads for some reason, right? There is like there's an evolutionary uh, evolutionarily biological reason for it. Evolutionarily, evolutionary biological, yeah, probably that one. But there's a reason for it. I mentioned this the other day that oh, they're part, they're not part of our our tribe, our clan, our village, right? They our cave, like. That person is an outsider. They they don't look like everybody that we are, and so therefore they're an outsider, and they're probably coming to, to kill us, to harm us in some way. I'm sure that has developed you know, for a reason to preserve the species over time, I think. Anyway, the people, everybody's got prejudice. Everybody does. Oh, that person reminds me of somebody else. Like, that's a prejudice because you're prejudging them based on some characteristic. The key is not to judge them as an individual based on that prejudice, right? You're not supposed to, because then that, and by the way, if you are like refusing to take into account any other characteristics of the person except the the, the prejudice one, then that makes you a bigot, right? Then you are refusing to uh, allow any other information to come in. You're using the prejudice to develop a preconceived idea, and then you are unwilling to change that idea, and then that's what makes you a bigot. So, that's the, you know, this is the nuanced discussion. Oh, okay, so I have a prejudice because of my surroundings, my environment. I was raised a certain way in a certain area of the country, of the world, or whatever. Okay, but you, you need to go past that, except when it comes to, like, gatherings of teenagers. Like, that is totally fine for you to, <laughs> to preach. No. no, I mean, it comes, from a, it comes from a source of self-preservation, fight or flight, right? 
You look around, you assess the situation, you're like, okay, I'm outnumbered. These people can do me harm. And they happen to be of an age demographic that is most prone to thinking stupidly and behaving badly physically. Teenagers, teenage men, teenage boys. I'll never forget, my mom told me when uh, when I was a teenager, she said, you always need to keep in mind that when I, uh, that when I see groups of teenagers, they're ve- it's very scary. And so when you're running around with your friends, be aware, like, the way you look as a group can be very scary to other people. And we were all white. My group, we were, uh, there's like three or four of us. Well, Francesco was, Okay. He came from Spanish descent, but whatever. And Sokol. Anyway, point is that it's the number and it's the age that that's what makes it particularly scary. So am I to believe then that police officers are unaware of who is committing and being victimized by crime, violent crime the most? And are they not supposed to understand what that means when they encounter potential suspects or pull somebody over? This is part of that nuanced discussion also that Van Jones said he wanted America to have. And when you look at what Black Lives Matter has done with the Ferguson effect and the Floyd effect, and we now know that, yes, congratulations, we have reduced the number of police homicides. Police have killed fewer people. That's true. The trade-off has been an increase in the uh, murders of citizens, anywhere from 1,000 to 6,000. And when you look at this, according to the uh, Law Enforcement Legal Defense Fund, a direct and statistically significant correlation declines in the kinds of proactive policing that's hated by BLM with surges and homicides. In New York City, arrests of criminal suspects dropped by 38%, murders rose, uh, rose by 58%, so down 38%. Arrests, up 58% homicides. Hometown, oh, this guy's hometown of Chicago. Arrests, declined 53%. Homicides, up 65%. Louisville, arrests, down 42%. Murders, up 87%. If you look at the number of American, Americans who were vi- victims of serious violent crimes... In 2021, uh, 2,700,000 or so. We'll call it 2.8. Before COVID, it was 2.6. So it went up. It's gone up since COVID. 2019, 3.2 million. 2017, 3.1 million. Felony Property crime also did not increase across this set of years, and neither did white-on-black or black-on-white crime. I've said this for years, too, right? The vast majority of murders happen by people who know each other and within their own racial group. Those are the numbers. Black crime overall wasn't even really up. So what happened? What did increase was hyper-violence, specifically black-on-black crime, murders, public shootings, concentrated in large, blue cities that basically gave up on the idea of enforcing the law. White cities that did the same thing, like Portland, Oregon, they saw similar results. It's not a racial thing. It's a criminal justice thing. It's a policing thing. What kind of society do you want? 
Talk 1110 and 99.3 WBT. <laughs> um, got a couple of uh, got a couple of tweets here, a couple of messages, a couple of emails. Uh, Taylor says, "Thank you, Pete, for that accurate description of the event here in Charlotte." Oh, the CMPD officer involved shooting of uh, Keith Lamont Scott. Yeah, uh, you're welcome. Uh, No, you don't have the right to resist, and as you said, uh, the time to adjudicate your case is with the judge, not the police. Resisting escalates situations versus compliance. We are trained to address resistance, not to the point those officers did, but resistance caused the police to take actions to address the resistance. Yeah. Yeah, there was, when I was in Asheville, there was a a guy, Johnny Rush, and... um, there was a police officer in Asheville. Uh, the city had made a big focus on the pedestrian deaths. Uh, and so they were, tr- you know, telling cops to start, you know, enforcing jaywalking and all of this stuff because Asheville came in as like the most deadly place for people to walk. And um, I think it's because of all the drugs and alcohol, but whatever. Um, the point was that they, they had stepped up enforcement. They had encountered this guy. They said, hey, cross at the crosswalk. And then he didn't again. So they went over to him and they're like, hey, man, we just told you, you know, cross the crosswalk. And he was like, yeah, whatever. And they're like, just, and it was a guy who was on training and the officer that was training him. And he was like, just write him a citation. And Johnny Rush did not want to get a citation. And so Johnny Rush started resisting. And then finally they were like, all right, you know what? Fine. Screw this. Like, we're going to take you downtown. And he resisted and then he ran and then he resisted and then he got beaten. And he was flailing around and trying not to go to jail. And then afterwards, there, it's all on the cop cam video. And then, of course, they leaked out the video. Outrage ensued. The city paid him off. And then the rest of the videos come out. And you see him in the cop. They're hanging out in the hospital parking lot afterwards and gives Johnny one of his cigarettes. And they're talking. And Johnny's like, yeah, I shouldn't have done it. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it all escalated. Right. Because it has like this. And this is always my point in all of these cases. And I'm not saying the cop was justified in beating up Johnny Rush. What I am saying is that. When everybody resists each other and everybody acts like they got the chip on the shoulder dealing with each other, naturally it's going to get worse. How could it not? Everybody that always makes the most demands for respect usually gives so many, uh, so little to so many other people. You know? I've noticed that. So Van Jones says at the end of his piece, he says... The key to reducing the incidence of police violence is stricter oversight and swifter punishment. Unless there is real oversight with real consequences for wrongdoing, bad actors will take advantage. Lower the practical standards for everyone and put all of us at risk. And without aggressive oversight and swift punishment, we'll continue to see stomach-churning acts of police violence against black men by cops of every color. And I agree. I agree with Van Jones. I know. Real oversight, consequences for wrongdoing. Otherwise, bad actors take advantage. We have, if you lower the standards, then we're all put at risk. We need aggressive oversight and swift punishment. So, does this standard apply to citizens? Does that apply to me? Does that apply to you? Should there be real consequences for wrongdoing by you, by me? Right? If there aren't, does that mean 
bad actors will take advantage of the lack of real consequences? If, if there aren't standards, or let's just call them, how about this, we'll call them laws, right? You start lowering the standards, right? You start not enforcing the, the laws. Are we providing oversight to that sort of stuff? Is there swift punishment for violating them, for not living up to these laws and standards? Right? This very argument that Van Jones lays out for the police, which I agree with, also applies to us. It also applies to us. The United States in 2023, here's the thing. Most people here can make it. All of the statistical information on the hyper-violent crimes that I went over earlier, right? Wilford Riley at National Review says, I present this because I'm a statistical wonk, but also it shines a light on a deeper point that BLM solutions pull back the cops, right? It has failed in, in an obviously predictable way. And got a lot of people hurt and killed because their core premise is wrong. Their, their premise is that racism is the main barrier holding back black people in America. And that is not true. In fact, people sail here on bedroom doors to try to make it here. And it's harder to achieve financial or social success if you start out poor. That is true. But here's the thing. right? There is a way around that. Whether you're from Ukraine or Appalachia or Mexico... Right? The not-so-secret path to success is identical for everybody. It's the success sequence. Graduate high school, work a job, wait until you get married to have kids, and don't have a felony on your record. 